Uh, the reading's taken from uh, 1 Peter, chapter 4, and the passage we're reading is from 1 through, verses 1 through 12. If you're following in your, on the Pew Bibles, it's page 1219, and the passage is uh, headed, Living for God. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their lives, their earthly lives, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but living according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David. Good evening, everyone. Let's try that again. Good evening, everyone. There we are. At least we're still awake. That's a good start, isn't it? Uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the clergy here. It's great to speak about this passage. Let's uh, pray together before we look at it a little more. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We pray that as we look at this passage this evening, uh, that you would speak to us afresh through it, that your word would dwell deeply within us, and that ultimately we would hear your voice. I know you're leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are partway through a series on 1 Peter. If you're new or visiting us this evening, you are very welcome indeed. Um, and Peter's written this letter, as we've said a number of times, to Christians around sort of Asia Minor kind of area who are suffering rejection uh, because they are Christians. Uh, and the title for this evening I've changed to be, uh, as David said, the beginning of this passage, this idea of living uh, for God. Uh, and it's a fantastic passage. I was really pleased uh, to be able to have this one, uh, particularly. It's quite a short passage, only 11 verses, and what we're going to do is look at it uh, together and think about how we might apply this passage uh, to our own lives particularly. 
Before we do that, I'd like to start by asking you some questions. These are not questions you need to ask or answer out loud or tell somebody near you, uh, but uh, just to think about for yourself. The first question I'm hoping is relatively easy. Do you really believe that Christ will return? Do you really believe that Christ will return? Somebody's already said yes, that's all right, good. Uh, That's the correct answer, if you don't know. Uh, (laughs) He will return. Do you really believe that? I'm going to assume that you do. I want to go on to the second question. If you believe that, assuming you believe that, do you believe that he may return in your lifetime? Or is the idea of Christ's return such a concept, such a thing that is kind of in our head, that the idea of him returning within our lifetime is not something that you've ever really considered or really take much hold or consideration of? If, let's think on, if Christ returns even before the end of my talk this evening, would you be ready? If Christ returns before the end of my talk, some of you are already hoping he might. If you are, <laughs> a bit rude. Uh, if Christ returns before the end of my talk, would you be ready? Let me phrase that question slightly differently. Last week we looked at uh, the persecuted church a little. If uh, tomorrow you were arrested on the charge of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence with which to convict you? If you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? These questions, questions I'd love to underpin this passage as we look at it uh, together this evening. And there are two particular verses that we've just read, although we'll look at all of them. Uh, verse 2, which said, They do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And then verse 7, for the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And we're going to think about this passage in three sections, and I've got three points, and they all start with the same letter. Thank you very much. Uh, They are repent, regard, and reveal. I've already repented of the pride I feel for getting three things with the same letter. It took me slightly longer than it ought to have done uh, to get those together. Let's think about repent first and foremost. We're thinking here in the first seven verses uh, that David just read to us a few minutes ago. This is talking about how, as Christians, they are now to live, Peter's talking about. Uh, This... uh, This whole uh, series that we're looking at is thinking about how we live as opposite to the world. And so therefore, just since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. And it says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. And they're surprised that you do not join with them in reckless, wild living and heap their abuse on you. I wonder, as you think about this passage, if there are things that you know that you do that are more like the world than they are like God has called us to do. Things that you know, maybe the Lord's just pointed something out that you know that you're doing that you ought not to be doing. Or things that you're not doing that perhaps you ought to be doing. The glorious news is that we have repentance and we can turn to God. About 12 months ago, I preached from Philippians and I used the circle of bad. Some of you might remember it. I think I've got a picture of the circle of bad uh, on the screen somewhere, possibly. Who knows? Uh, and uh, there we are. Uh, there we've got the it's bad. That's the stuff that just happens. There's the your bad, the stuff that happens to us, and the my bad, the stuff that we do. 
And I said, the my bad things, the things that we do, should lead us to guilt. And often we think guilt is a bad word. And we kind of, we kind of go, no, remove all guilt, get rid of guilt. But guilt can be a good thing if guilt leads us to repentance. Guilt is only a bad thing if it leads us to shame. Because guilt says, I have sinned. And to know that you have sinned is not a bad thing. To know that you've done something against God is not a bad thing, because then you can go to repentance. Guilt says, I have sinned. Shame says, I am a sinner. Guilt says, I have stolen. Shame says, I am a thief. Guilt says, I have lied. Shame says, I am a liar. Guilt maybe says, I've watched pornography. Shame says, I'm sexually immoral. If you're living in shame today, I encourage you to go to this place of repentance, to know that Christ died on the cross so that we can be in relationship with God, so that our sins are so far as the east is from the west. We are removed from our sins. Repentance literally means, you'll know this, to turn away, to change our hearts. And that change should show in our lifestyle or perhaps in our behavioral change. Katie did a good job of showing these books before um, that we're using, this one and uh, Pete Gregg's book as well. This one, I don't know how many of you that you raised your hand have read this one. I highly recommend it uh, to you. Uh, I read it last October. And one of the things that John Mark Homer challenged me on was the way in which I use my spare time. Uh, And... uh, I long since said that I'd love to read more. I'd love to read more scripture, uh, although I do read scripture, you'd be pleased to know, as a vicar, um, hopefully. Uh, but I would love to have more time for that. I'd love to read more books, proofily, like John Mark Homer's book as well. But I've always said, oh, I haven't got time. And John Mark Homer says, actually, just reassess what you're actually spending your time on for a moment. How long do you spend reading the newspaper or watching rubbish television or uh, playing video games, perhaps, or, which was more relevant for me, on your phone? How long do you spend on your phone? I um, have had an Apple iPhone for, um, all the mobile phones are available, um, but I've had an Apple iPhone for 13 years. I got the first one, 2007, when it came out, and I've had an iPhone all of my, uh, most of my mobile phone life, 13 years now. And when I read this book, John Mark Homer, I looked at uh, my phone, which shamefully tells you how long you've been using it for. I'm sure others do as well. Over two hours a day, my phone was being used for. And I felt, gosh, imagine what I could be doing with that time. And so back in October, November time, I said, you know what? I'm going to turn away from this. I'm going to change my attitude. My lifestyle will change as a result of this uh, repentance. And actually, I'm going to do something different with that time. Uh, And so I made a commitment to do that. In mid-January, I thought, I wonder how I'm doing with that. It's always a dangerous thing to think, perhaps, but nevertheless, nevertheless a good thing. And I looked, and still, just over two hours a day using my phone. And so in mid-January, I then write, something really has to change. This is really not good. I need to turn away from this thing and change my lifestyle. I'll give myself one more month. I put a date in the diary of mid-February, and if it's not changed, something more drastic will happen. Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. 
And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to end a life with one eye than to have two eyes to be thrown into the fire of hell. Two weeks ago, I looked again at my phone usage with this passage in mind. This is now my mobile phone. Uh, this is a Nokia phone. Um, those of you who were born in the 80s will be pleased to know it has got snake on it, um, uh, which I could lend it to you if you want. I haven't actually got addicted to that, so it's okay. All this does is make phone calls, send WhatsApp messages, and send text messages uh, now, because it is better for me to lose my hand or my foot if it's causing me to stumble. We need this, which repentance should show up in a lifestyle change. And there may be things that the Lord is pointing out to you that are getting in your way, that the ways that you're living more like the pagans, perhaps, as this passage put it, that you need to seriously turn away to God, turn back to God on this evening. If it's those other things that I mentioned, maybe the best thing to do is to be accountable to somebody. I'm accountable to somebody with my phone. Full transparency, I actually own two mobile phones because I have a work one, and the work one that's provided is actually an Apple phone as well. Um, however, however, I only ever have used it for a few minutes a day, and the, the usage hasn't gone up, and I'm accountable to someone to make sure that doesn't carry on. And if it does, I'll do something about that as well. But just in case you see me with an iPhone, it's not that I've lied to you from the front of church. Uh, it is true that I, my, my, the main phone that I use is no longer, uh, no longer a smartphone. It is a dumb phone. What are the ways in which we are living like the pagans? What are the things that we need to do to turn back and to turn away from? So repentance. To regard then to the second R. This is uh, verses 8 and 9 of our scripture. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. What does it mean to love one another, to regard one another, I wonder? Just by way of a bit of light relief, there's a short video here that perhaps may not be how we might love one another. Hopefully this will work. Let's watch this together. Hopefully. I'll keep filling. And finally, a northerner has been accused of terrorising London by walking around saying hello. Generic northerner Stephen Malley left London as traumatised by his attempts to interact with them in a friendly, cheerful manner. Here's Nathan with more. Malley arrived here at Oxford Circus at 9.32 this morning. He had already said hello to several people en route from King's Cross Station, leaving worried commuters unsure why a man they did not know was talking to them. He made direct eye contact. Ah. Uh, and then said, morning. First I thought, well, is this just a statement? Because, I mean, it was the morning, but no, something in his tone suggested this was a greeting. <laughs> Mally was apprehended by London police who were forced to let him go, as friendliness to strangers is not a crime until next year. <laughs> Outside the station, Mally gave a statement. Where I come from, it's OK to greet strangers or comment to them about the weather. I did not know the customs of London, and I apologise if I offended anyone. <laughs> I did not mean to be happy. <laughs> I'm going back on the train now. And Nathan, what should Londoners do if approached by a northerner? Headphones on, head down, and avoid eye contact. <laughs> they are generally friendly, but they will headbutt if cornered. There we go. There we are. Uh, I hope that it's, it's, 
how do we love one another? How do we regard one another? I'm, that poor chap was just trying to be nice, wasn't he? Uh, I'm sure. Uh, and we could be perhaps think, some, think about how we love one another when we greet one another, perhaps how we are when we're out on the street, how we respond to one another. Maybe even in Christian circles as well, how we respond to one another even in this space. Uh, Justin Welby in 2015 revealed that the worst uh, pen letters, poison pen letters that he gets, horrible letters of complaint and written in really horrible ways are from Christians. He said this, the reality is that we do not as faith groups in our society always exhibit the secure tolerance of each other that enables us to speak powerfully of secure tolerance to the world around us. Christians are as bad as anyone else at this. In fact, if I dare to be competitive, I think we're the worst. How do we respond to one another? How do we reveal God's love to one another? I've said this a number of times, but when we marry people in church, the vows that we ask the couple to say are, I will, not I do. That's because love is a commitment. It's something that we say we will do on the good days and the hard days that are to come rather than an I do which is placed in the moment. Loving one another, as Peter extols here, as Christ tells us to do, is a commitment that we make to one another. It can be hard from time to time. But it is that commitment. And it also doesn't mean that we have to just put up with awful behavior. Sometimes it will mean challenge. Jesus showed challenge in the Gospels. Just a few weeks ago, uh, someone who I actually think is as close to Jesus, the man I think is as close to Jesus as I've ever met. He's not in this church. I'm sorry. I'll introduce you to him one day. Uh, but had to tell me something that I was doing that was unhelpful. Uh, and he told me in such a way that there was no question in my mind that I was loved by him at the end of that conversation. I wonder how many of us have had an experience where we've been told that we should do something, we're doing something we shouldn't be, and we've still felt loved at the end of it, challenged but loved. I wonder how many of us have managed that ourselves, or have been quick to write these letters of complaint, perhaps, or to be angry with one another. How do we love one another? How do we regard one another for these verses? The final R then of our three R's, reveal. Are we using the gifts that God has given us to reveal God? Are we revealing our gifts to the world, perhaps? Verses 10 and 11, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Just three questions, I think, possibly, for us to think about here. Firstly, do you know what uh, your gifts are? It's the first thing that you'll need to know in this. Whatever your gifts are, you're to use them for the Lord. In order to do that, you need to know, obviously, what your gifts are. If you don't know, there's lots of ways that you can find out. You can pray and ask the Lord. You can ask others how, what they think. You can think about them just for yourself. If you're really stuck, you can come and talk to me. One of my greatest joys is to walk with people as they both discover a gift and then begin to be released into it. It's one of the things I love to do. The second question, probably more for all of us here, are you nurturing whatever gift it is that you have? 
Think of athletes at the Olympics, for example. We might see them doing whatever it is they're doing for a few seconds, maybe a few minutes at a time. But each and every one of them will spend six or seven hours a day, six days a week, nurturing the thing that they do. And it can be easy when we're gifted in something particularly not to nurture it, not to give it the time, because there's so much else for us to do. There's so many more things for us to get our teeth into and so much more work that needs to be done. But God has given us particular purpose and particular gifts that he wants us to use for the body. We do a dishonor to those gifts and we do a dishonor to each other when we don't use those gifts fully, when we don't nurture them. You'll know that God has gifted me a bit in prophecy over the years. Uh, And I know that when I need to pray for something or somebody and need to hear God particularly, he always turns up. So it can make me go, well, I don't need to worry about this because it will just happen sort of thing. But actually, my gift of prophecy grows when I nurture it, when I spend time with the Lord, when I spend time listening to him and growing in my relationship with him, when I depend on him rather than the gift itself. And that would be true whether I was 10, whether I am indeed 34, whether I was 65, wherever we are in life's journey, the gifts that we have, God has given us, and we need to continue to nurture them. Unless you're Jesus in this room, actually Jesus, uh, then you still have a way to go. There is still more that you can do to grow your gift. The third question doesn't strictly come out of this passage, so forgive me for this, but it is out of Scripture. Um, but as I've been praying for this, through this um, talk this week, the Lord's placed this question on my heart. Um, and the question is, how do you feel about the gift that you have been given? How do you feel about the gift that you've been given? Do you love the way that God has made you? Do you want to nurture the gifts that God has given you? Or do you wish he'd made you perhaps a bit differently, with different gifts? Scripture particularly, I'm referencing 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Sorry, the scripture is quite small on the screen, but I promise that's what it says. It's easy sometimes, I think, for us to look at other people and to think, boy, I wish I was a bit like them. Boy, I wish I had those gifts. Boy, I wish I could do something. What on earth can I offer in this situation? What on earth could I use my gifts for? Do I even have any gifts that I can offer? I was a bit cautious about sharing this story with you because particularly the, the pastoral people in the world, in the, in the church, will come up to me afterwards and go, oh, Adam, you poor thing, and give me a cuddle, which would be really kind of them. Uh, but uh, uh, not such, so needed, really, because the Lord has already done this work with me. But uh, 
a while ago, and I won't say exactly when, a while ago, someone from outside of the church came to speak here at uh, St. Paul's, uh, and they spoke really powerfully, uh, and, and they spoke really, like the Spirit was very clearly on them, they spoke really powerfully, they expanded the scripture really, really well, and I sat there with two thoughts at the end of when they spoke. The first thought was, wow, that was amazing, and gosh, there's lots of things that I need to do in the coming week as a result of that talk. The right and proper things happen in the situation. The second thought was more selfish and not so holy. And it was, Lord, why on earth can't I speak like that? Why on earth can I not speak with that same power that that guy did on that occasion? And then, because I'm a vicar, and this is part of what we're supposed to do, uh, the thoughts went to, Lord, why would anyone even come to a church that you lead, I lead uh, if I don't speak the way that that guy speaks? Now, fortunately, 24 hours later, I was at a prophetic conference, and because I suspect, and I do know the guy relatively well, I'm a little more prophetic than he is, uh, even, so that's because that's the thing that God gifted me in, uh, I sat with the Lord asking these questions, and God said, I wrote it in my journal, and God said, I've lost it, there it is, I've made you, Adam, to help others to recognize my presence and to hear my voice. People will come to the church that you lead because I am there. It's not about you, it's about me. Thanks, God. That's quite helpful. (laughs) It was a helpful correction, and it was a helpful phrase, actually. The Lord has made us all part of the body with different gifts, different things that we can offer. And we don't need to sit and think and feel feel, um, uh, jealous of the person over there that does this or uh, wish that we were that person over there. But actually, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Such a powerful passage, I think. And just a quick word on the fact that it's not about role, it's about function. No gift is greater or lesser than the other. Paul goes on to say that in in Corinthians 12. You can read that uh, in your own time. If you need evidence of of this, let me ask you whether you think in in the scheme of government, whether a um, president of a country or a bin collector is of more importance. Whether a president is of more importance or a bin collector, I wonder. I suspect many of you will think, well, clearly the the president has got a more important role in in that place. In 1981, President Reagan was shot uh, and wounded. He uh, he survived, but shot and wounded. And yet the whole of government continued. Everything continued. Everything went on as it was. People were still paid. Businesses still worked. Everything continued. A few years later, refuse collectors went on strike, and rubbish suddenly filled the streets, and the infrastructure came to a standstill. Businesses weren't able to open. People weren't there. It's not about the particular um, uh, function, the role. It's about the function. We're all called to do things in God's body. They are all equal. So do you know your gift? And are you using it and nourishing it for the people of God? Are you nourishing it and using it for God's church? I just want to finish by focusing on why we do these things. Last week, we looked at chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3 say this, For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We do all of these things, not because we have to, but because we can do. Out of response for the great love that Christ showed for us on that cross. 
we can come to repentance. We can turn our life to follow him. We can regard each other, love each other, and show that love that he has for us. And we can reveal the Christ that lives in us to this world because we have been, as it says, brought to God. Let's just imagine for a moment if the entire church that exists around the world turned away from the things of this world and turned to the things of God. If the whole church turned away and repented of the ways of living like this world and lived as God calls us to. What if just this church showed the love that God has for us to the world around us? How much would Leamington be changed if we as a church, if this gathered the people, however we are, hundreds or so people, went out into the world and showed his love into this town? What if just one or two people here this evening really took hold of a gift that God has given them and started to use it for his purposes. I want to finish by asking you the same questions I asked at the beginning. Do you really believe that Christ will return? Do you believe that he may return in your lifetime? If he returns perhaps by the end of this evening, would you be ready for him? And if you were arrested tomorrow on the charge of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence with which to convict you. I wonder if you'll stand with me as Ruth and Josh come back. I'd love to give just a little more than usual space to if silence just to uh, ask the Lord to reveal on our hearts particularly what he needs to speak to us about this evening. It may be that there is something that you know you need to repent of to turn back to him. It may be that there is someone that you need to regard more highly, to love more. Or it may be that there is a gift that you know that you've not been nurturing or even not been living out. Let's just have a moment or two of silence as we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. As we were praying before the service, somebody had um, was brought to mind the fact that the screens, you may not know, but the screens have been a bit problematic today. The doors aren't working, and both are to do with, with missed connections, connections disappeared, dis- not there. Maybe that um, for somebody here, they know that there's something missing in their connection with God this evening. There are two fun-related pictures, one of a marble run, lots of fun, and one of a kitten just playing freely and joyfully. 
as I've been praying and reflecting over that, I just wonder if um, somebody needs to know that relationships can be hard, but they're meant to be fun, to interact with each other, to have fun with each other. Maybe bring those to the Lord. And then there was a picture of a leaf falling slowly, which you wouldn't expect necessarily at this time of year. And the Lord said, autumn has well and truly gone. Spring is coming. And then that words from Isaiah, do you not perceive it? Spring is coming. And an old style garden fork turning over some soil. Maybe there is a new season coming for somebody particularly. Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you speak to us. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. This evening, once again, we turn our eyes to you. We turn our eyes away from the things of this world, the things that would seek to distract us, the ways in which we used to live. We ask for your forgiveness. And we ask for your wisdom and for your strength as we turn to you. And Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Our love demonstrated on that cross. Help us to love one another to greet one another, to care for one another, to see one another. And Lord, we thank you that you know us deeply and that you made us individually with a particular purpose for this body Would you help us to know what you've called us to and give us strength and courage to live in that calling. Not to be distracted by the many things of this world. And gracious Lord, as we come before you this evening, more than anything else, would you remind us of your deep love for us, of your Father's heart that longs for us to come back to you and to know your presence in our lives. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us, we pray.